We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. It's the offseason, baby. We got uh, five more weeks to go until training camp or so around that. I'm just guessing at this point. And so we want to get into our previews. We did some interesting stuff to start. We, instead of a QB preview, we kind of broke it down. A little deep dive into Daniel Jones if you missed it last week. I thought it was very inspiring i i you know i i really thought that was one of our better pods the first one especially the second one more of a hypothetical kind of touching on what they did in the offseason at qb2 and what that means for this team because they obviously have a better qb2 going into this year than they've had in a long time and who knows what it means we'll find out time will tell we both think it's jones's job but today we're going to get into the running backs and then we're going to move on to the wide receivers we're going to start going position by position looking at this giants roster Want to also mix in a few other things outside of the position preview. So hopefully starting this week and moving forward over the next five, we can start to get a lot of content in here. But before we do that, Nick, how you doing, man? Little life update from you. I saw you on the East Coast last weekend, didn't I? Yeah, Dan and I hit up Morristown, hit up what was it called? The pasta shop in Denville. I believe that was the name of the restaurant. Excellent Italian food. It was great just catching up with you, bro. It was. Let me tell the listeners something, though. We go to the pasta shop, right? So first of all, Nick suggests another place, a place I like that I've been to like a thousand times because you still live like a two minute walk from it. And that's um, Cuban Pizza Montclair. But I'm like, listen, at least two of the listeners on the podcast suggested and shouted out the pasta shop in Denville. And I kind of wanted to give it a go. So I was like, Nick, let's do the pasta shop. He's like, ah, do they have do they have anything <laughs> healthy? I was like looking at the menu. I'm like, well, there's like a Here's a few salads. And then eventually I was like, I got something interesting for you, salmon. So we went to the pasta shop, Italian specialties. I got, I had before tried their pastas, which are all amazing. So this time I got the chicken parm, which was 
unbelievably crispy, like paper thin, which is how I love chicken parm. First of all, chicken cutlet, the, the thinner, the better for chicken cutlet. That's a known fact. Anyone else who disagrees with that is just dead wrong. But paper thin, crispy chicken cutlet, good marinara, and it came with a little bit of pasta too. So that was nice. And I've had some of their all their pasta there is unbelievable, homemade. So Nick got the salmon at a pot at an Italian pasta shop. Nick got the salmon. I'll be honest though, it was pretty good. I had a bite. And he did, at least he did indulge in the meatballs. The meatballs were great. You know, I was in Jersey because my best friend John Adams, named after the president, possibly. I'm not sure you'd have to ask him. Got married. And Dan, I don't know if you saw the mansion that I was staying in out there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but the murals that they had on the roof were incredibly, incredibly freaky to see at night. I don't know if you checked that out, but it was just uh, very, very scary. I felt like I was in the haunting of Hill House or something. Yeah, I saw those pictures. You put it up on your on your uh, Twitter, I guess. Um, it was very odd. I don't think I could sleep. With the, it, was it like illuminated at night too? Were those are they kind of like dark shadowy? No, they were dark shadowy, but there was enough moonlight in the stars because you're out there to like shine in there to kind of see, you know, a little bit of face. And I, I don't know, it was, it was a little creepy, but excellent wedding. Congratulations to John and Lisa. Yeah, definitely um, something I wouldn't want to go to sleep looking at. I'll tell you that. Uh, I actually had a good weekend too. I finally uh, got to play some tennis with my family for Father's Day. Got a little doubles in. Me and my mom took down my brother and my dad in the first set, though we did lose the second set, which was highly disappointing. But we didn't get time to play the third set. Um, it was like already two hours of tennis. It was a lot of fun. And then I got a chance to see my cousin for the first time in so long. She lives out there in Minnesota, cousin Rachel and Joe, her husband, and their two little kids. And the funniest thing that I found out about this is Joe told me, as it relates to the podcast, is <laughs> Joe told me that, uh, so, we, so just to kind of confirm, just to clear this up, it's my cousin Rachel, her father, Uncle Steve, my Uncle Steve, Huge fan of the podcast, Nick. So what I found out was he had actually visited Joe in Minnesota where they live, Joe and Rachel. And then now they're staying with my uncle when they're out in Jersey visiting. And he's like, every time I'm with your uncle, I literally hear your voice in the background. He's just playing on the loudspeaker. <laughs> Big Blue Banter. This guy doesn't miss an episode. So shout out to Uncle Steve. It's my favorite thing. Literally made my day. Joe's like, I now know your co-host too because he's just always on in the background too recognize his voice he's like he was up there in april and it was six straight days of just hearing you on, on out loud like he's not listening with headphones which is my favorite part i love it <laughs> just out loud everybody has to hear it you better listen you better like it and then today he sent me the cutest video ever of uh his his young daughter marley who's two years old or just 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 under two years old uh eating her breakfast with big blue banter on in the background and it, and and he's and he sent and he sent me the text. She's very worried about the Giants' secondary. So just a really awesome thing. Let's dive into this running back preview. But I do want to shout out something first. I had an idea for a podcast that I was going to run by you first, Nick. But I want to actually get your initial reaction to it on the show. So I've been seeing a lot of. Pe I saw one person I follow do an all-time Giant or all-time draft for the team they cover. I was thinking, Nick, we do an all-time Giants draft, a snake draft, but it's no fun with just two people. So we do it with me, you, and one of the listeners. So if anyone listening to the podcast would like to join me and Nick for one Big Blue Banter podcast where we literally do a snake draft of all the Giants' best players of all time, you got to feel the team. So it's not like just pick like a million defensive ends, yada, yada. you got to pick a quarterback. you got to have a running back. The whole team, offensive line, draft a full starting lineup. If everyone wants to do that with us, if anyone wants to do this, shout us out on Twitter. Find me or Nick. You can tag us both. Let us know you're interested. Maybe we'll run some kind of promotion or something fun for it. I got a better idea. How about this? If you want to participate in this, do me a favor. 
unsubscribe to the podcast, resubscribe, because that helps us out. If you left a review already, leave a new rating and review. And in the review, put your Twitter handle and say you'd like to be a part of this uh, draft. And just remember, you're on the show, so you're going to be on the podcast. It's not like we're just going to be writing it in or emailing it or anything. So if you're interested in joining the podcast for one episode and doing an all-time Giants draft with us, leave us a rating review on iTunes. Put your Twitter handle in there or some way we can contact you and let us know that you want to do the draft. Nick, what do you think of that idea? No, I love that idea. Let's, oh man, I wish we could even have perfect a time bit. of the offseason. Yeah, dude, that'd be perfect, dude. Let's dive into that. So remember, if you want to join that pod, it's a one-time thing. Want to have some fun with it. All-time Giants draft. We'll do one other person. Maybe we can do more than that. Let's let's talk a little bit about this workshop. This, but just again, leave a rating review, your Twitter handle, let us know, or some way we can contact you. We'll judge by the reviews. Okay, that works. That works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anything lower than five stars, don't even consider yourself up for this opportunity. But Nick, let's dive into the running backs today. So one thing I wanted to do this year when we preview the running backs, instead of just talking about what the Giants have on the roster, I want to compare each position group to the rest of the NFL. And I think that's a fun way to do it. So what we did is I'm going to dive into some advanced stats for obviously the lead back here, Barkley. This is still in my opinion, and I'll get your take on this in a second, because I think it's one of the key talking points, Nick, but a lead back team, a one back team. There will be some stuff with Brita. There'll be some stuff with some of the other backs who make this roster and kind of move up and down that depth chart to number three role. But I really, truly think, especially leading into a contract year where he's not re-signed, this is going to be a one back team again with Saquon Barkley. So want to compare the Giants to the rest of the league. And I want to talk a little bit about some advanced stats with Barkley and where he's kind of gone from 2019 or from 2018 to 2021 within that span. But one thing that I find is fun is me and Nick have some different opinions of the running back groups across the NFL. I think it's fun to see the disparity there. So, Nick, let's start this off with the Giants running back group. Do you feel like this is going to continue to be a lead back system, a workhorse type of role for Saquon Barkley, or are they going to scale things back for him? This will be a workhorse type of role for Saquon Barkley. I think they will. Use Matt Breida here and there a little bit, maybe here on third down. I think there's going to be some personnel packages with both running backs. But overall, when you have a player like Saquon Barkley, you're going to use the heck out of him. Now, I think the interesting conversation comes up when you evaluate Saquon Barkley since 2019. Because what happened in 2019? Injury, played through the high ankle sprain, came back maybe early, and then he finished strong down the stretch of the season. 2020, he tears his ACL in week two, and then also has a couple more knee issues beyond that. And then last year, he also got dinged up a couple times and unfortunately rolled his ankle, stepping on a linebacker's foot or something absolutely ridiculous like that. So the fact that he has had these injury issues leads me to believe that Brita will play somewhat of a role, but I think ultimately it's going to be mostly Saquon Barkley, and he is in the last year of his contract, and we're a little bit uncertain on if the Giants are even going to retain him, which does factor into this equation as well. For sure, and I think what the Giants want to do versus what they may have to do could be two different things, right? Like you said, you broke it down perfectly here. This has been a situation where he's been injured every year but his rookie season, missed a lot of time in each year, and they're similar injuries. They're lower body injuries. I mean, we have ACL. The thing is with that ACL, the people are, that really scares me the most with Saquon. When you had that ACL, it was also, I believe, the, either the MCL or the PCL. Was it? it was a really debilitating injury. And I remember reading the swelling was so bad, he had to wait a little bit before he could even get the surgery, which is just something you don't really want to hear. And I really think that a case can be made. Now, there's going to be other backs who come up. Antonio Williams, Carrie Bright, we'll talk about them in addition to Brita maybe even Josh Corbin. But there's, I really believe 
that there's a chance, there's a possibility. I hope this is not the case, but there's a possibility that he's not the same back that he was earlier in his career ever again. And I hope that's not the case. But one thing that stands out to me with Barkley is just the difference, the crazy difference when you have from 2018 when he was the rookie to last season when he, you know, was for the most part, I know he had the injury, but came back, played, played, and, and, and didn't really, at least to the media, Nick, say that it was bothering him. As a rookie, he was next level when it comes to breakaway percentage, when it comes to breakaway runs. That was what defined him. Just to go over some stats, he had 20 carries of at least 15 yards during his rookie season. That was the third most in the NFL. He also had 706 of his yards on breakaway runs. That's uh, most in the NFL. 54% of all of Barkley's yardage as a rookie, again, most in the NFL among running backs, came on these breakaway runs. Now you compare that to 2021, and that's where you start to look at it like, okay, well, what's going on with this player now? Because in 2021, just to give you a little comparison, and breakaway run percentages, runs that go for more than 15 yards. Peyton Barber, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Samaji Pirine, Brandon Bolden, and Wayne Gallman on the Falcons are just a few names that had a higher breakaway run percentage than Saquon Barkley, who's completely plummeted. And now you can argue anything you want when it comes to Daniel Jones, the offense overall, as far as this was Jason Garrett, it was so, so bad, blah, 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 blah. But Breakaway runs to me, Nick, when it's that big of a disparity, you go from the best in the league to one of the worst in the league. It's scheme independent to me, Nick, because I just don't see Pat Shermer's scheme opening up all these potential holes for Saquon Barkley, right? Even when we watched the film in 2018, a lot of that was just Saquon doing things himself from a breakaway standpoint. So my question is, is are we going to get back to that version of Saquon? Because that to me was his defining trait. That more than anything else. There was also the yards after contact, which he used to be a lot better at, in my opinion, than he has been in recent years. He was a tougher runner. He was looking for contact. He was breaking contact, and he was creating yards after. But he was always pretty good in that. Like, not not, not just pretty good. Probably, like, top five, top seven range. And I still think he might be just a little behind there. But it's the breakaway runs that defined him, in my opinion, Nick. And that's what scares me most. Is he going to be that player again? Saquon Barkley is... His skill set's predicated on his athletic ability, and he's coming off of a year where he was one year removed from that ACL injury. So I think those excuses are valid when you when you kind of attach him to the fact that he had that offensive line behind. Now, all of that works against Barkley, but that is kind of separate from the fact that when we watch Saquon Barkley, there are times where holes kind of develop and he doesn't see them or it takes him a while to really hit those holes. And I don't feel like he is somebody who really anticipates blocks all that well. This is something that we've been pretty consistent on with Saquon Barkley. I think Saquon Barkley we'll see in 2022 will be better than the Saquon Barkley we saw in 2021. Honestly, it's kind of difficult to be worse for right. somebody of his potential because he has all the potential with the athletic ability that he possesses. He's still 25 years old. So if he is fully recovered from that injury and there aren't any long lasting effects, then I would imagine that he kind of comes back to the athletic ability that we saw prior to the injury. But at the end of the day, I think his usage with this coaching staff, I think the upgrade of the offensive line will help him. We'll see a better player. I just don't know if he is even in the conversation though, in terms of 
his overall ability as a running back, the nuances of the position, the setting up the blocks and all the things I said before. I don't know if he's in that conversation with the Nick Chubbs and with the Dalvin Cooks and even with the Jonathan Taylors, who doesn't really necessarily always get talked about in that ilk. But watch Jonathan Taylor play, bro. He he sets up his blocks so well. He's so His eyes and his vision are excellent. I don't see Saquon Barkley in the same way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and the, and the thought, you know, the debate with that is if he had a great offensive line, would that change? And, you know, the case can be made, look, his entire career, Nick Chubb has had a pretty good line. But his rookie year, it wasn't that good. So I kind of think about that. And then you look at Jonathan Taylor, that case can definitely be made. He's always had a good offensive line, even dating back to Wisconsin. Dalvin Cook, they went through some rough patches there, but it was still that zone blocking scheme, that, that Shanahan Kubiak base system that really fits him well and is generally a good thing for running backs. So that is something I always think about with Saquon. Like if they ever do improve this line and make such a big jump. And I think of a lot of the units the Giants have this year, offensive line has one of the bigger chances of making a jump just with it, it, And a lot of this depends on if Andrew Thomas can play, can be healthy for the whole season, but the additions of Glowinski and what I think Neil can be in year one. And I'm even starting to get a little bit of hope for Shane Lemieux, by the way, especially in the run game, but a little bit of hope for Shane Lemieux as well. That those additions, like what that can offer the Giants, especially then if you also throw in maybe just maybe Daniel Bellinger hits the ground running as a as a as a blocker on the end of the line of scrimmage. Now you have a different, you know, a different setup for him. Maybe it takes a little of the pressure off him. Maybe it helps a running back. Maybe it's that important for a running back like Saquon, who, like you said, lacks a lot of the nuances to playing position. He doesn't do a good job setting up his blocks. In my opinion, he doesn't have uh, a great feel for the cutback lanes. And that's something that I feel like he used to have. That's the weirdest part about it, uh, about the situation for me. And that brings me to my next point, Nick. Something I thought was interesting. And before I do that, though, I want to throw out this stat because I missed it. I said earlier that the biggest drop-off was with the breakaway ability. Well, actually, I was wrong. The yards after contact per, att- per attempt were devastatingly low for Saquon Barkley. Last year, they were forty. he was 43rd in the league with 2.69 yards per carry. 
after attempt. I mean, that goes against 3.34 yards per contact, uh, yards after contact per attempt as a rookie for Barkley, fifth best. And then 3.23 in 2019, sixth best. And now he's dropping all the way down to 43rd, just ahead of Devontae Booker's of the world. And according to PFF, he had just four broken tackles in 2021, the entire season. That was 63rd overall. Just for reference, you put this in your good job, Nick. Javante Williams was number one there with 31. Crazy. It's crazy. And so it's really, those were his two defining. It was, it was the breakaway ability, and it was the, the yards after contact per attempt. That's what made him what he was. That's what why he was considered, in some opinion, the best running back in the NFL. And why after his rookie season, I actually thought he was going to be the best, run, potentially the best running back of all time. Because that transcends, in my opinion. It doesn't transcend, but it, it, it kind of can alleviate some of the pressure that, that comes with, you know, not maybe being the best mental process as a running back, right? Not maybe, you know, doing the best job of setting up your blocks. Not maybe doing the best job of getting vertical at times where you need to get vertical and things of that nature. But what I wanted to bring up with this, we talked a lot, Nick, and I want to get your take on this. We talked a lot about how Saquon Barkley was much better or would have been much better, should have profiled as much better in a power gap heavy blocking system, right? We said, oh, Pat Shermer's here. I'm sorry, not Pat Shermer. We said, oh, Jason Garrett's here. Oh, Mark Colombo's here. They're going to use power and gap. This is so good for Barkley. He did a really good job with this at Penn State. Let's see what happens. But I look back at the stats, Nick, and during that 2018 season, Barkley had the second most rushing attempts on zone runs, according to PFF, and only the 15th most power gap. And I really felt like he did a much better job of finding the cutback lanes in a zone or in a more zone heavy system under Pat Shermer. In my opinion, he was the at his best under Pat Shermer. And so I'm wondering if all the things I assumed about what he would be based on his skill set may just be wrong. And maybe he just is a better zone runner. And I ask that because I think the Giants are moving back to more zone heavy this year. Yeah, I think they probably will use some more zone with Brian Dable. I think it's better for Saquon Barkley when he had a defined hole that he knew he had to hit and he could follow his blocks and then use his incredible athletic ability to challenge the angles of safeties in the alley and linebackers who were trying to fill and fold over top. But I don't necessarily think if you run more zone, he's just going to be lost. When we say that Saquon Barkley struggles with vision, we're comparing him in a manner to the top running backs in the league. So you're talking about the ones who are excellent elite vision, the Nick Chubbs and the Dalvin Cooks and the Jonathan Taylors of the world. I still think Saquon Barkley's vision is plenty functional to be an NFL running back in a zone system or any system where he has to find the cutback lane or read, react, and then attack and decipher and play that cat and mouse game on linebackers. I just don't believe it's elite. And I think Saquon Barkley has the potential to be elite. So everything that we kind of, or at least I criticize Saquon Barkley on is in reference to him being the elite running back that I think he actually has the potential to be, if that makes sense. It does make sense, Nick. And I, I still think that ceiling is there and could happen as soon as this season. You know, there's been so much discussion on how bad he is. It's like you talk about the Daniel Jones discussion we had the other day. It's it's really not a comparable discussion to me. Jones versus what he can be at his ceiling and Saquon versus what he can be at his ceiling. It's not just because of the traits. It's because Saquon has done it before. He did it in his rookie season in 2018 without a lot of help. I mean, the Giants offensive line in 2018 was not very good. The Giants offensive system was okay. It was quarterback friendly. I wouldn't say it was necessarily running back friendly by any means. They pretty much just <laughs> ran a very exclusively zone-based system there, uh, inside zone-based system. And 
you know, like you said, maybe the idea here is that you need to make things more defined for Saquon, right? You need to simplify it for him and just let that athleticism show. Let it come out. Find ways, like I think the Giants have already been doing in OTA so far, Nick, of getting him the ball fast in space, right? Using him as a receiver, putting him in motion, putting him on the outside, putting him in the slot. Just finding different ways to get him in one-on-ones versus clogged up behind an offensive line that at times, you know, in the past was really bad and we're hoping is going to be at least middling at, at, at worst this year. But maybe you just make things more defined for him, and, and and that could really bring out the best in him again. That's what I hope, at least. And I think his usage in the passing game can really assist that. And I also think the fact that he, like I said a little earlier, is a year removed from that injury will also help Saquon Barkley in terms of his confidence. He was not going to go out there and say it last year, but he was running in an unconfident manner. And it's easy to run in that manner when your offensive line is, is allowing two penetrating second-level defenders into the backfield. That's a whole nother aspect of this conversation. Now we see a lot of, I guess you could say excuses levied towards Daniel Jones because of the crap that was surrounded around Daniel Jones, basically his entire career here in New York. I think Saquon Barkley has a lot of those similar excuses specifically last season. So I, that's an interesting way to kind of evaluate what he can do in 2022. And we don't even know how he's going to be used yet. I, I think we're going to see more of a rushing based attack than what we saw Brian Dable use up in Buffalo, right? Cause Saquon Barkley, Compared to Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, there is a big difference in the potential and the overall skill sets of those running backs. Yeah, I'm still, um, you know, I feel a little bit still skeptical about that, Nick, just because I agree it will be more run heavy than Buffalo. It's almost impossible not to be. That was just basically throw every down offense, as you should be, in my opinion, with Josh Allen. But I do still think it's going to be a lot of like run, run and shoot principles and a lot of, at least that's what I've been hearing, and a lot of pass a lot of pass first pass first down pass in, in in neutral situations that type of thing now it'll be a little more run heavy but i still think they can use barkley as an extension of the run game via the pass via the short pass and that's something daniel jones has done pretty poorly of in my opinion just to just be completely honest and it's something eli manning did a much better job of i know they're considered dump downs by eli and everybody focuses on the ones that came on third downs but Eli also targeted Barkley on first and second down. And Barkley also made a lot of big plays happen out of nothing once he got the ball in his hands by getting that 114 targets or whatever he had his rookie season. I think it was like the most ever for a rookie and the second most ever as a rookie in Giants history. Maybe just one behind Odell Beckham. Some crazy number I'm forgetting now, but it, it's around that. And what he was able to do with that is more opportunities, right? More chance. I feel like it's almost like the draft. I almost view it like the draft, Nick, when it comes to these Uber athletes like Barkley, who are 240, run a 4-3, can create yards after contact. I'm talking about healthy Barkley, by the way, not what we saw in 2021 or whatever that was. Uh, confident, healthy Barkley. You know, 4-4, maybe even better speed, credible burst, incredible elusiveness, incredible yards after contact ability and strength and leaping ability. All of the, he's everything you want as an athlete when he's healthy. And I feel like it's almost like the draft for me, Nick. It's like more dart throws, right? In day three, I just want more dart throws. Give him more chances, more dump downs early, you know, make this pass, you know, make him a focal point, get him 15 touches, uh, you know, early on in the pass game and the run game within the first couple quarters, just to kind of get him involved and give him more chances to break. one. And I feel like that, that was my next question for you. Do you think that part of the confidence factor, Nick, and part of what made him what he was overall production wise, as a rookie, was a was a product of being so heavily involved 
Like you know, you hear a lot of people talking other sports and, and and football as well. Like you need to, you know, get them going. You need to give them rep after rep after rep, and then they can break free. Do you think that was a factor for him at all during his rookie season, and something that played a role, you know, in, in these recent seasons? I think it definitely played a factor, but it's not the whole story. I think the offensive line was blocking a little bit better back then for the New York Giants. According to Pro Football Focus in 2018, they ranked 16th in terms of run blocking per their grading system, which I think Nate Solder, you could say, had a, I don't want to say a solid year, but it was solid all the other years that we saw from (laughs) Nate Solder. Will Hernandez, that was his best season by far there in New York. So you had the blocking up front. And you had a fully healthy Saquon. That was before he suffered the injury in 2019 and obviously the injury in 2020. So I think, yeah, the the involvement definitely helped the proclivity for Eli Manning to dump the football down to Saquon Barkley in the flat whenever there was nothing downfield. I think that also helped in terms of confidence and productivity. And I just felt like Saquon Barkley stepped into the NFL and he he had the it factor. He had the dynamic right. athletic ability that could translate from Penn State into Uh, the National Football League. And I still think he has that if he is fully healthy. So it's just a matter of kind of unlocking it. But I think in terms of the confidence, as I said a little bit earlier, I think a lot of that just goes back to him being confident in the knee because getting over that mental hurdle is definitely something that is difficult for a lot of athletes. Yeah, and just to correct what I was saying before, it was 114 targets, the second most among running backs, and 91 receptions, also the second most behind only McCaffrey, McCaffrey during that rookie season. So just heavily involved player. Um, Anything else on Barkley before we move on to the other backs on this roster and then kind of rank the running back groups across the NFL? I think we're good on Barkley. As I said, I think he's going to be the focal point of this room because I don't see a lot of depth in this room, which we're about to get into. Can I ask you this then and take this a little 30,000 foot view, but actually but right, real quick before we move on, in your opinion, based on the injury history for Barkley, the position, he signed with Rock Nation, and I'm pretty sure he believes who he, he believes that, you know, in who he is. If he has a rebound and plays like he did in 2018, what would be your, what would be your option for him? And here, let's say option ABC, Nick, right? A, resign him to a contract and i know a lot of people be like oh they could leverage that he's been injured and hasn't been that good nope 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 that's not how this works that is not how the nfl works he will be resigned to if not the biggest contract ever for running back top five ever i could guarantee it if he has a breakout season and if the giants don't do it somebody else will because that's just how the nfl works would you sign him to that would you franchise tag him which is risky because he might hold out and it might just not be the ra- the route to go if you're a team. Let's say the Giants improve the season and they get to like nine or ten wins, and a lot of those come down the stretch. Maybe they just miss the playoffs. Uh, Barkley plays a big role in that franchise tag. It just doesn't sit well, in my opinion, with the player or the locker room in a lot in a lot of the times. Or would you let him walk and try to get the comp pick? So, how good of a year are we talking here? Uh, let's say it's as good as his. Uh, let's say it's as good as his rookie season. Okay, so 2018 Saquon Barkley yeah. comes to head in his first year in an offense, 2022, and the Giants are relevant. I think you you toss out the idea of applying the franchise tag, and I think you're right. It doesn't always play well with the the player. It's I think for running backs, I just looked it up. It's about 9.57 million in 2022 for the running back position, and I think that'd be fair. It just I think you also have to have a line of communication and and kind of understand what Saquon Barkley would want. I would imagine he would want a full big time contract. So you would have to kind of see if this would be an Ezekiel Elliott situation. I think that would be my first go-to, but I think you would have to have some sort of communication with the 
agent and Saquon himself to, to feel out what that process would be like. And and that's the crazy part to me because obviously a lot of the fat a lot of the, the injuries factor into to my thoughts on this and yours as well, Nick, because when you have that buildup of lower body injuries over and over and over again, multiple season ending surgeries, right? Uh, one, one season ender, but multiple lower body stuff. I mean, the high ankles happen twice, the PCL, the MCL, the ACL, whatever it may be. It's consistent down there um, for a position that, you know, has been injury. You know, it's it's one of the more injury prone positions, if not the most injury prone. It's the shortest shelf life position in the NFL. I believe after the Gore retirement and a few others of that nature, Adrian Peterson, the average age is going to drop to like 26 at the position. So it's kind of crazy. And so all that factors in for me, Nick, but I do wonder the Giants are going to be in such a healthy cap situation going into next year. If let's say Barkley is the is the offense, let's say this is a team that steps up on defense, plays much better than anyone expects. Wink does a great job with them. The secondary isn't a problem. Things just happen. Aaron Robinson's great. Darnay Holmes has a good season. Cordell Flott's ready. All these factor in. And they most of their offense is generated through Saquon Barkley via the run game and via the pass game, like it was essentially in 2018. It was Barkley, Beckham, that's it. Um, and a much worse defense that year as well, which, you know, and let's say Daniel Jones is just not that good. Let's say he's been what he is a little bit better just because Dable helps him out. The system helps him out. The offensive line's better. But they decide to move on from Daniel Jones. That's when I start to consider, like, if you can find this guy and re-sign him on a two-year deal or something like that, or a three-year deal that's front-loaded for Saquon Barkley or any kind of front-loaded contract, that's when I'm a little more open to it than I've ever been. And, again, I'm still a little concerned about it because of the injury history and because of the position. But I do think that as long as you don't do what the Cowboys did with this contract, with this Elliott contract, which is continue to what they did is they pushed the cap hit back. They kicked the can down the road at, on Zeke. And that's why they can't get out of this contract anytime soon, because there's so much dead cap instead of just front loading it or because they couldn't afford to. They have too many guys they needed to resign and they signed Dak and Amari and all these guys and they couldn't afford to. But I feel like if you front load it and you keep it short term in the sense of where the cap is allocated, Nick. I'm a little more open to the idea of Barkley if he returns to that 2018 form. And I have faith in Joe Shane and this front office with Kevin Abrams also on board to construct a contract in that manner. And if we want to look at the running back landscape right now in terms of contracts, Ezekiel Elliott has the most total value at 90 million, which is just insane to think about. It comes out to an average of 15 mil per year, which is the same as Alvin Kamara. And then Christian McCaffrey is just north of that at 16 million. So if you're talking about resetting the market, you're talking about paying Saquon Barkley probably somewhere around 17 million per year. Right. And again, it would have to be for me to have any interest. It would have to be front loaded. It would have to be shorter term as far as where the cap is allocated, because I just look at it like this. If they're moving on from Jones, right, if they're going to do that, they're going to draft a quarterback or they might not even have the opportunity to next year. So they're just going to have like a Tyrod Taylor gap year type of thing. And they're going to have a lot of cap space to go around. I honestly think and we'll get this on a receiver preview. Kenny Galladay's days are numbered. That's another big contract that's going to come off the book. And there's been a lot of speculation that Leonard Williams is going to go. And I would not be surprised about that at all. Remember, Leonard Williams is not a Joe Shane guy. He was traded for when he was a free agent and re-signed by Dave Gettleman to this unbelievably massive contract that just builds and builds and builds with cap hits for a guy who's a really good player, but is not really a def isn't living up to that cap hit, if we're going to be completely honest about the situation. When you have that cap hit, you got to have Aaron Donald type production in the pass game. And it's just a fact of the matter. Um, the run game only gets you so far. So I think this roster could be really barren from a cap standpoint 
there was an article today that I want to get into on a podcast in the future, Nick, so I won't go too deep on it. And so the Giants are one of the most cap-healthy teams for the 2023 and 2024 season. So for me, the only reason I'm open to it, again, is mostly because I think they have a little period of time where they can get a little bit frisky or a little bit aggressive with their short-term cap play. Yeah, I don't think you're ridiculous to suggest this either. You brought up the high percentage of contributions that Saquon Barkley could have on this offense, and it kind of just reminded me of Tiki Barber in 2006. Remember, he made up like something ridiculous, like 70% of the Giants offense, and then he ended up leaving, retiring, and then the Giants were able to replace it and win the Super Bowl the next year. And I just wanted to bring back that because I'm feeling nostalgic about when the Giants were a respectable franchise. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get back there. All right, let's talk a little bit about the other backs on this roster. Where do you want to start with Brita? Yeah, let's go to Matt Breida. And I, I don't view any of these backs on this roster as anybody that I would feel comfortable with if something were to happen to Saquon Barkley, which has happened several times throughout his career. And that's no knock on Matt Breida. I think Matt Breida is fine for a spot back that you're going to use on third down sometimes and throw some, you know, screens to. But when you look at this running back room in general, Antonio Williams, Gary Brightwell, Matt Breida, Josh Corbin. I feel like it's very, very weak behind the top dog. Yeah, you're not wrong, Nick. Though I do think Brita, if he is limited to a role that he'll be playing, right? Like if he's not expected to be the lead dog and he's only expected to be a change of pace, occasional red zone, maybe occasional pass down. I actually really like him in that role. I think he did a really good job with it in Buffalo. And I think he did a really good job within the outside zone scheme with the 49ers. And you actually have some good stats on that where he's really at his best. Because he still, to me, has some really good burst. I think he has really good vision in the zone game. And I think he has natural ability as a receiver. I just think when you ask him to do too much or if you ask him to step into a full, more full-time role, that's when you start to get uh, – that's when I start to get a little concerned. Yeah, and Matt Breida in 2018, that was his best year. as uh, That was under Kyle Shanahan. And again, this is somebody who's been around the league for a little bit, but he's only 27 years old. But that 2018 season, he had 153 rushing attempts – he averaged 5.3 yards per carry. That's 814 yards, three touchdowns, a fumble, came out of absolute nowhere and kind of took the entire fantasy community, I guess you could say, by storm, you know? And then he also had 2.85 yards after contact, which is pretty damn solid considering the fact that Matt Breida isn't that big of a guy. He's only about 5'10, 190 pounds. He's more of a scat back type of feel to him. But that 2018 season, which was his second season in the NFL, was really solid. And even in his rookie season, he averaged 4.4 yards per carry at two touchdowns, was more of a bit roll, only had 105 carries that year. But ever since he left San Francisco, he kind of bounced around a little bit, was in Miami for a little bit, didn't do much down there, and then was in Buffalo last year and was playing well until that Monday night football game where Josh Allen was credited for a fumble that was actually Matt Breida's fault and fantasy managers were just pissed all over the place. Oh, yeah. That is a classic fantasy manager pissed. And yeah, I think that's the other thing with Breida. It's like the injury has to, he's also a smaller back, has had injuries in the past. That's It's a very fragile running back group the Giants have right now. More fragile than it's been in years past. You know, you've had guys like Wayne Gallman and Devontae Booker who are solid starters who can do multiple things can play on pass downs at least in booker's case and who have a track record of staying on the field that may not be the case for really anyone on this giants roster right now with the exception of guys that really haven't had much burn at all like the brightwells and the williamses of the world yeah the brightwell and the williamses of the world too like 
Antonio Williams didn't have a carry last year. He he only has a, like a couple handfuls of carries throughout his career. So the sample size in terms of him being a professional running back is still small. I liked his physical running nature. He has that same similar type of build to a Gary Brightwell. So I, I think that's encouraging, but he hasn't proven anything yet in the NFL. And then same with Gary Brightwell. He was drafted because Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge liked his personality and he was a special teams asset. But I don't know what he's going to offer as a running back. And then same with Corbin. I, I think Corbin had was deceptively slippery in small confined spaces, doesn't necessarily have breakaway speed, but he can really challenge angles just by, you know, shifting his body and altering his weight in a certain manner. And I think he has pretty good vision, but this is an undrafted free agent we're talking about. So when you look at the Giants running back room as a whole, if something happens to Saquon, man, I'm going to be a little bit worried because there is no Wayne Gallman and there is no Devontae Booker here. Because I think both Wayne Gallman and Devontae Booker are better than the Matt Breedas of the world. I think Matt Breida, as you said earlier, is more of a he has his role. He's good at that role. But if you ask him to step out of his role and fulfill the big boy's shoes, I'm just not certain he could do that. And that's an excellent point, Nick. Though I do will say that I do like prefer Breida in, in a limited role. Like if Barkley can stay on the field and he's the lead back, I prefer Breida. I think he has more juice in the run game than Booker or Gallman. I think he also has more juice in the passing game. Just overall, a much better playmaker than either of those two players. So I do like that. But I will say this. You're right. They don't really have any options right now who can carry the load if their injuries happen. But one thing I will say to that, Nick, it is the most, you know, outside of IDL, one of the deepest positions in the NFL. There will be free agent running backs. Like last year, the, what, who was it? The, the Ravens needed somebody to fill a big role with all their injuries at running back after Gus went down and Dobbins went down. They found Devonta Freeman off the, Wow, I just can't believe I just called him Devonta. I didn't even mean to. Devontae Freeman off the... Hey, off you the, said it correctly, finally. No, Good job. No, Welcome no, to the dark side. Just go find that interview <laughs> where he confirms that it's Devontae. But, now, that's Devonta Smith who did that. I don't no, think Freeman Also, Devontae did. Freeman once uh, did it on a first take interview. You can find it. It's the Super Bowl. He, I'll find the clip. He, he I'll doesn't find it. He doesn't I'll know. find it. We'll do it live. <laughs> I'll do it. We'll do it live. Anyway. Um, and and in, in in addition to that, the the Titans when they lost Derrick Henry, they found Dante Foreman off like nothing. Dante Foreman was like a scrap heap player, and he played a huge role and he did a good job. So to me, it's a position that, in a lot of ways, you can find guys. So I'm not as worried about that. If they lose Barkley, look, they're screwed anyway. At that position, they're not going to have much talent behind him. But I do agree, it's a, it's an interesting spot. It does give an a big time opportunity for the Brightwells of the world and for the Corbins of the world, and maybe the the platzgummers of the world right and whoever else yeah. Antonio Williams whoever else they put in camp because there is at at the very least that RB3 job is wide open yes i think the job is wide open and another thing about Brita that's working in his favor and Antonio Williams favor is they know Brian Dable's offense so if this is a similar offense to what we saw in Buffalo they will understand the terminology the verbiage and all of that that definitely helps their favor but i think Brita will make this team and i think as you said, that running back three spot becomes very, very interesting between Corbin, Antonio Williams, and Gary Brightwell. Now, I think another name that is interesting in this conversation, and he's not a halfback, he's more of an H-back, more of a fullback, but I think he deserves to be in this specific conversation because we've seen the Cullen Gillespie's and the Elijah Pennies of the world have a big impact in recent Giants offensive memory. So Jeremiah Hall, the undrafted rookie from Oklahoma, do you think he makes this team, Dan, as a fullback slash H-back whenever these the offensive play callers decide to use that? Because he is a pretty solid player when you go over his film. 
Yeah, I'm really interested. To, I also think he's a solid player with a little bit of upside, interesting upside for the Giants. I'm just interested to see when it comes to him, all those players. Like, what are the, like, how are they going to, how many tight end slash H backs are they going to keep on this roster when they already have a situation where probably at most they're keeping what three running backs? We assume. I can't imagine four of these guys we already mentioned are making the roster. So there is more opportunity, I think, for a Jeremiah Hall type to make the roster. I just don't know exactly. I think, well, I, I feel like I need to wait a little bit for camp to get a better feel for this offense, how they want to use a player in H back like Hall, and also how many tight ends are on the field, right? If we're seeing a lot of personnel groupings that are one tight end, well, then I feel like Hall has a much better chance of making the roster because they're, they might only go with three tight ends, right? Like maybe even few, who knows how many they go with, if that's the case, right? I remember last year, Dave was saying at one point, he only had one active tight end on the roster. So it's, I feel like it's still a little open-ended there. I think it's a good call. And I think another player, just because we were just talking about the running backs in general, Ja'Shawn Corbin, if he can prove himself as a special teams asset, him being a guy for Joe Shane brought in as an undrafted player, we brought up some of his skills a little bit earlier in the podcast, I think he has a realistic shot to – just bounce Gary Brightwell out of the spot. Gary Brightwell is a six-round pick from a previous regime who didn't really do anything in his rookie season. So I think Corbin has an excellent opportunity to be an undrafted guy who actually makes this roster because that running back three spot is so open right now. It's a great call, Nick, and I think he's going to be one of the more exciting players for Giants fans to track throughout training camp, especially if he starts to get a little buzz early on, starts to make a name for himself can maybe be the David Sills of this year, right? Like, because I know it's usually wide receiver position where that happens. Um, Sills Army, we've got to think of something more interesting for Corbin. Um, I'm trying to think think of a Corbin thing, but I got nothing right now, so we're going to just move on for that for now. But, yeah, I feel like he's got – we've we've all seen it. Like, you've watched him. I've watched him. You can see that this guy probably has more – like immediately when I watch him versus Brightwell, for example, I feel like I'm watching a better running back. It's just like crazy because they use a draft pick on Brightwell. But I guess the idea behind that was, look, he's a special teams ace, quote unquote. We got to prioritize that despite having put in so many, so many things, resources into special teams before that. I guess they needed more. The Judge Gettleman days. But I feel like when I watch Corbin, there's more juice, there's more upside. And he could be someone that if he really, if it all clicks for him right away, Nick, I could see him as someone who in some ways, maybe even offer something different than a Matt Breida type, right? But like you said, it really all depends on can he make a name for himself on special teams. If he doesn't, I don't see him making the roster. Yeah, and if you go back to his time at Texas A&M in 2018, when as a true freshman, he had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And this is somebody who, even in 2021, he was used as a returner kind of sparingly. He only had seven kickoff returns, but he banked it off for 130 yards, so an 18.6 yards per average, which is, I guess you can say solid. But I, I like the idea of Corbin. I think you're right. He's different than Brita, but he can offer something different. I think he'd be a good change of pace to Saquon Barkley. But again, we're talking about the running back three. Like, How much is this guy going to actually see the field? It's probably going to be in garbage time or, when, or just garbage time because the Giants are getting their ass kicked or because the Giants are winning. Hopefully, that's more of the case. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, let's get into our rankings. Let's rank this running back group versus the rest of the NFL. And here's what I want to do, because we don't have as much time as I thought. And we did tease it, but I want to get a little bit into it. Me and Nick ranked all 32 running back groups. I'll go over my criteria when I break down my rankings. He can go over his. Let's start with, here's how we'll do it, Nick. We'll give your top 10, right? 
if the Giants aren't in your top 10, expand that to where the Giants are ranked, then stop. You don't have to give an explanation. Then let's go over where we differ the most and talk those through and see our thoughts on these running back groups. So start with your top 10. Okay, so my top 15, I guess you could say it is, is the Browns, the Colts, the Packers, the Vikings, the Titans, the Cowboys, the Broncos. That's tier one. Tier two, the Panthers, the Lions, the Patriots, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Rams, the Bengals, and the Giants. And that's at 15. And then I'll just finish off my tier two. The Jets, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Ravens. Okay. So I have the Giants. This is where we can start here. I have the Colts as the best group. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Philip Lindsay. The Browns with Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt, Ernest Johnson. The Vikings. Where do you have the Vikings? I have the Vikings three. I feel like they're a little further. No, they're four, so it's not too far behind. The Packers, the Titans, which you also have up there. Then the Panthers, the Cowboys. Then I have the Giants at eight. So I actually have the Giants seven spots ahead. So here's my criteria for it. This is where I base it. I'm mostly leaning for this on the lead back, right? Unless it's a two-back system, unless it's a Shanahan system, Unless it's a situation where you have two really talented guys like the Packers have, and you're going to probably try to find 30 to 40 to maybe 45% of the touches for an A.J. Dillon type. If you're a lead back team, I'm looking for special. And I still think ceiling in this exercise, Nick, I assume everyone's healthy, right? So even like the James Robinsons of the world who are coming back at some point in camp, I'm assuming by week one or by week four, whenever they play, everyone's healthy. So this is a fully healthy team. And for me, Saquon Barkley is still going to take most of the snaps up at your running back group if you have him in your running back group. And I still feel like he has more playmaking upside than anyone after uh, on this list. I don't disagree with what you said, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint that the running back position is incredibly volatile. Saquon Barkley has been injured several times. And like I said earlier, if something happens to Barkley, the Giants are screwed. Whereas some of the teams I have ranked, God bless you, some of the teams I have ranked above the Giants, I feel like have much more proven and competent running backs behind the number one guy. And some of these running back by committees, you know, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson Jr. I feel like those one-two punches are a lot better than the one-two punches the Giants have. And it's just me kind of hedging because of the fact that injuries are a real thing that have plagued the Giants at the running back position. And I understand where you're coming from, putting a lot of weight into the running back position because of Saquon Barkley. And if there's one team that I think I might switch on a little bit, it's probably the Bengals who I have ranked one spot ahead of the Giants. I probably wouldn't maybe re- reconsider that, but I just have Samaje P. Ryan over Matt Breida and then Chris Evans so far over Gary Brightwell. So I'm kind of looking at it from a much more collective of uh, the entire room. And I see you're, you're probably more looking at it for who's going to play all the snaps. Yeah, who's going to be on the field, basically. I just don't – the RB3 – yeah, The injuries is, is a big sure. thing, though, that I'm factoring in with this, too. I'm trying to factor in injuries, too, in some ways. This is this is just the thoughts on if, you know, in a perfect world, everyone can stay healthy. I thought it was interesting. A couple of other notes because we can go we, we can go over these briefly. But I have the Jets all the way up at 10. You have them at 16. I believe that Brees Hall and Michael Carter might be one of the better ones who punches in the NFL. I'm so sold on Brees Hall. I think that if you look at his player comp, it is eerily close, not from a stylistic standpoint, but eerily close from an athleticism standpoint to what Jonathan Taylor did when he came out in the NFL. And that was eerily close to Saquon Barkley. I think he's a much better overall athlete with that vision, with that one cut ability. I think he could easily break into the top tier. They're just in my second tier of the Jets. And then you had Michael Carter in there, who I think is a really good running back too as well. So I had them at 10, you had them at 16. A couple teams that you had hired were the Patriots you mentioned. 
if you want to kind of go into that or what team would you like to talk about at what ranking stood out to you, I guess, uh, versus where I have them. Where did you have the Patriots? I had the Patriots at uh, 12. So not really too far off. Yeah, I have them at 10. Yeah. And and to me, Damian Harris or Madre Stevenson, neither of those guys are anywhere near Saquon Barkley. But I think the one-two punch aspect of both of those guys, and then you throw in James White and a potential replacement for James White since he's getting older and Pierre Strong, I feel like that is a pretty solid room as a whole. Whereas I have Saquon Barkley five, or I have the Giants five spots lower. Saquon Barkley, yeah, that's awesome, even though I have some issues with certain nuances about his game. And as I said earlier, it's it's more about just depth and the fact that injuries happen so often at the running back position. So I, I just don't think the Giants are in a situation where they are they have a top ten running back room. I think Saquon Barkley is probably a top ten running back. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I even think people would probably argue that. So I just in no situation would I have the Giants. I think in top ten, I don't have them too far off, but that's that's just me. Yeah, I guess that's a ceiling thing for me. It's like. I don't think he's – I don't know if he's even one – I have him at the Giants at eight, right? You have him at 15 over, I have him eight. I don't know if I th- – and it, it's driven entirely for me by Saquon Barkley almost. I agree like yeah, yeah. it a little bit, um, some, more than some some teams too, but not many. I don't even think he's like a top 10 running back. Like I have to position the player overall in the same way that I don't really think Debo Samuel is a top 10 receiver, right? Like I don't think he runs routes better than anywhere close to Deontay Johnson, or I don't think he's as good – at a lot of the nuances to playing receiver than Johnson. But these types like Debo Samuel and what Barkley showed in 2018, they're game breakers. They're game changers. They alter your team's chances of winning football games. The Giants didn't do a good job of it in 2018. I get it. They only won five games. But a lot of that was issues at the quarterback position, issues at the offensive line, issues on the defense. But in the right system, like you saw with Debo Samuel last year, with a great defense around him, a mediocre quarterback playing a good but a really good offensive line, He's able to take over, and, and and obviously great play calling, right? Like Shanahan is did an unreal job of scheming ways to utilize his skill set, and I'm, we're hoping Dave's can do that with Barkley, right? But in that ideal world where that ceiling is reached, I do think Barkley offers more. This is kind of where my ranking is based on. He just offers so much more to me than for for me than that next tier for me, which is the Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, the Brees Hall, Michael Carter, though I could be make case could be made for Hall. Kamara Ingram, I think Kamara's a little bit beat up in that regard. Harris from Stevenson, Swift, who's injured as well, Williams, Mixon, Pirine, Walker, Penny, and then my 16 team, which you have actually ranked at 28, which I do want to get into, so I don't want to jump the gun there. So for me, I guess it's just what Barkley can do is so much more to me than what these other guys can. Yeah, I understand that. But if we're going off of potential for everybody, then I'm going to have a lot of these guys who have immense potential much higher than I probably would just off the cuff. So I would have to use that. Like Joe Mixon, that's somebody who has a ton of potential, right? So what I... Yeah, I don't I know if I see him, that with Mixon. I, I, I don't love Mixon's game as a runner personally. Oh, okay. I see somebody who is wildly explosive, somebody who is an absolute bell cow you can give like 25 carries to and... He's pretty damn tough. He's a pretty damn tough player, a great athlete. I still think Barkley has more potential and right. more upside. If we're just going based on upside, Barkley is a top five guy. Well, not He's just upside. Easily. you got to factor it in, too. Like the, the, exactly. It's everything, yeah. yeah. All right, Nick, anything else in the running back rankings that stand out to you? We're, we're, we're pretty similar outside of that. I have... Washington a little bit higher. I think Antonio Gibson is a transcendent. I think he's a really good talent when he's healthy. Um, a couple of, I feel like uh, I'm a little bit higher on the Chargers than you, but I guess that's more so just because I have such high, uh, I'm, I'm factoring in less of the depth situation there and just we're both super high on Austin Eckler types. 
I think the Giants clearly are in a position here where they're still they still have the opportunity to be one of the better running back units in the NFL just because of the idea that Barkley has proven he can take all the workload and he's proven that not only can he take it, the production doesn't fall off. Yeah, Barkley is the defining factor. And again, the reason why I don't have them as high as I said several times already is that depth aspect of it. So what do you have the Rams? Well, that's an interesting one. Yeah, we're going to be different on the Rams for sure. So I'm not a big fan of Akers so far. Really? I liked him coming out of college at Florida State. And I feel like at the NFL level, especially during that playoff run, he did not have the burst I thought he would have. It's kind of like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for me. I think with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the transition just didn't happen. He went to the NFL level, and he was a step too slow for the NFL game. All the stuff that worked at LSU when you had Burrow and Jefferson and Chase taking up a lot of defensive attention, you had those light boxes, which he still gets with the Chiefs. It's just snapped or just you know condensed by that, that extra tick of speed that I just don't think he has. He's a more quickness-based player. And I feel like with Acres, I've seen similar levels of, of that and just not the exact same thing, but not to that extent. But the athleticism to me hasn't translated. I haven't liked what I've seen. And then you got Daryl Henderson, who I think is in my to me as a pure runner. I actually like what I've seen from Henderson more on film than what I've seen from Acres. I just think Henderson can't stay healthy at all. I know Acres had the Achilles, but Henderson really can't stay on the field. So to me, that's just a unit that has a lot of injuries. And I just the RB one there for me, I'm not a big Acres guy. But yeah, I like Cam Akers, it seems like, a little bit more than you do. I think Daryl Henderson just gets injured and it's wildly frustrating. But a healthy Cam Akers, I see just a very violent runner who can run through your face, but it also is nimble enough to juke around you. But I do think this is a fun exercise, and I'm looking forward to doing it for the wide receivers as well. Yeah, for sure. And one other team I'm a little bit lower on than you is the Bills. I love James Cook. I am not a big believer in the rest of that unit. Yeah, I think Devin Singletary is one of those guys who's just like a solid running back, but it's it's uninspiring. It's nothing that's going to be like, oh, yeah, I got Devin Singletary on my fantasy team. Or, oh, yeah, I got Devin Singletary. I'm a Bills fan. This is awesome. I think it's just one of those things where it's like this guy can fill his role. He can do everything to a solid rate. He's not really a liability in anything, but he's just uninspiring. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the Seahawks have used a ton of investments at running back now, drafting Walker in round two, Penny round one. One guy who I just, you know, sometimes I just watch random film in the offseason, try to get a feel for fantasy. I'll, I'll say this, Nick. I don't know how much you've seen, but Rashad Penny was freaking awesome last year. I know it's been like such a long journey for him, injured every year. I, have, I probably will stay away from fantasy only because I don't think he can stay healthy for a full season. That's literally my only reason. But if you got a chance to see any of his film last year, this dude was was you could see why the Seahawks originally and I loved him coming into the draft by the way I thought he I would never take a running back around one but I thought he was a filthy filthy prospect and just in just a note for those swinging for upside in fantasy maybe uh I do think Penny put a lot of great stuff on film last year Penny if you watch this I mean it's just injuries with him man I mean yeah. he averaged 6.3 yards per carry last year he has an average of 5.6 yards per carry throughout his career and he had what 2018 he had 89 carries and 2019 he had 65 so it's not like it was just one really good year and then his yards after contact is a 3.74 average he had 4.52 yards after contact last year which led the league he he was an absolute beast last season and not a lot of people were really paying attention to it because seattle kind of sucked and was kind of falling by the wayside yeah without a doubt that's banking on upside all right that's all we have for the Giants uh, in the running back update. Just so, just to keep a, but yeah, just a reminder: if you do want to participate in the thing we offered at the beginning, because I think it'll be fun. I just kind of gave it one spot, an all-time Giants draft. Reach out to us, leave us a review, a rating, a way to contact you, and we'll move forward from there. 
Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.